3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation, and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio, and this is Wednesday Breakfast with Will. Hello, everyone, and... Good morning, and Dean. Good, Good morning, morning to all our Dean. listeners. Hello. How are you today, Dean? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Yeah. Yeah. Apart from the cold, it's good yeah. to be in here. It's always it's a little chilly. nice and warm in here. Yeah, we've had a have had a cold spell over the last few days, haven't we? Hopefully it doesn't yeah. last for too long. Do you I, remember, it seems like it was so long ago, we had like a mini summer of like a couple of days where we had 16 to 18 degrees yeah. of sun. Yeah. And wasn't that wasn't And I like thought gorgeous. that was the end. Yeah. Um, the flowers yeah. started sort of, my trees started mm. blooming a little bit, but oh, now it's just like, yeah, but yeah. that's Melbourne yeah. for you. Yeah. That's the beauty of it, you that's know. True. Um, yeah. We'll probably have a long hot summer and then we'll yes. be hating that when that comes. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> I find that I operate ideally within a three degree tolerance between yeah. like 23 degrees and 26 degrees. Yeah. Anything more than that, I complain and anything less, I complain. So, yeah. No, yeah. I, don't, I don't mind winter. At least no. you've got control because you can rug up if you need to, mm. you know, and then if you're somewhere you can take off your jacket. But if it's like 40, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got no choice really. No, to, that's you know, true. It's just way too hot. That's know? true. I just want to give a plug to the Melbourne City Library on Flinders Lane. It is amazing. Okay. Just yeah, air conditioning yeah. in the summer and heating. Oh, is that the, the one where you have to go upstairs? Uh, it's sort of between uh, Swanson and Elizabeth. It is. Yeah, yeah so yeah, as yeah. you're going towards Elizabeth, mm. it's on mm. the left. It's Yeah, it's near... Um, the Graves Park, which is the housing activist for ageing. Oh, yeah, group. Yeah, yeah. We have had, yeah. had them on the show before, but I've yeah. forgotten the, what that stands for. But it's, yeah, it's, it's near the Graves yeah. Street. Um, near no, the I've been in there once. It's great, Street. yeah. It's so nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, and it's a hidden gem. It is, it yeah. is. And, um, yeah, I, I'm just plugging that place because it's so nice. <laughs> and it's free. Why wouldn't you go all the time? Uh, what have you been up to? Uh, work, work and work. trying to uh, get my head around um, yeah. some of the topics that we've got on today. Yeah, um, that's right. We've got a couple of things um, going on in the show today. We've been speaking to the folks from Jesuit um, Social Services um, who run a whole lot of great campaigns and they've just started a campaign called Worth a Second Chance, which has to do with um, uh, people who have been through the youth justice system, mm. um, people who are often called young offenders and yeah. um, just providing services for them coming out of that system and um, it's also a sexual campaign as well. So, And interestingly, yesterday um, mm. they were talking about, um, you know, the, the growth in youth incarceration, but, mm. you know, they talk about this crime wave that's happening and it turns out statistics show that um, in Victoria, mm-hmm. some kids going into youth detention, they've actually sexually fallen. Oh. You know, it's the number, high. The it's higher than it has been over the last sure. five years, but it's actually falling down. Okay. You know, and we keep hearing that right. there's a lot more going in there. Sure. But, you know, mm. whether it's 10 or 200, it's still a lot for kids to be in detention. Yeah. And yeah. it'll be interesting to hear what the, um, what the impact of those numbers have on public perceptions and yeah. on outcomes for people who come out of that system. So um, we'll be speaking to Nick Orchard, who is the um, manager of campaigns for 
Youth Services at Jesuit so- Social Services. And um, what do we have coming up after that? Uh, we've got um, Bob Phelps. Uh, he is from Gene Ethics. So mm-hmm. recently, um, a man in, in California has been awarded millions of dollars um, in a case against uh, the Weed Killer Roundup, mm-hmm. um, and they're pushing to get uh, glyphosate off our globe. Um, and I guess what we'll also try and touch on is the uh, Johnson versus Monsanto case as well. But um, uh, we yeah. know Roundup is an Australian product, Mm-mm-mm. and a lot of gardeners in Australia use it. So what yep. are the implications of of that product, and what it, what is it doing to you know um, sure. elderly or people who love gardening with it? Mm, yeah. yeah, so that'll be great to talk about. We're also going to be hearing from the folks over at In Your Face. They spoke to Jane Green, who's... Uh, a member of the Vixen Collective, which is a peer support network for sex workers um, in Victoria, and um, getting an update on what's going on in that space. And then we'll also be hearing from Jan Bartlett from Tuesday Home Time, who spoke to Bevan uh, Ramsden, who, first of all, had a hand in setting up 3CR, oh, which wow. is really exciting. 40 so, years ago. Yeah, 40 yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Had a hand in, um, in the establishment of this great institution, and also... Um, is reporting on behalf of IPAN, which is an independent and peaceful Australian network, and giving us an update on what's going on around the globe from a peace activist network um, point of view. So that'll be that'll be great to to do. Now, in terms of the weather, um, just letting folks know at home that we're looking at a chance of light showers in the morning and afternoon with light winds. Now, when we say a chance of light showers this morning, I didn't get any showers. Um, no. I've been <laughs> lugging my umbrella everywhere. But, you know, yeah, I didn't I have that, the other day, and there was no rain. So, um, I mean, there was rain the other day, and I left it at home, rather. So, um, so how about you just bring an umbrella with you to ward off the rain? It's I think that's a, how it works. It's a great marketing ploy for those guys who sell umbrellas. It's yeah, like, big know, umbrella. Just just buy one, and then you always <laughs> lose it. I've, I've actually ever bought yeah. my whole life one umbrella, because yeah. it's like um, they just change hands. You mm-hmm. know, you'll leave mm-hmm. it on a tram. Someone uh, else will have it for the next sort of three weeks. So they'll leave it in the mm, tram. Mm, mm. <laughs> what you're telling me is your nick and umbrellas. No, no, they just <laughs> I leave them behind. So I'm guessing it's a quid pro pro system. Oh uh, yeah, okay, they take okay. mine, I'll take theirs. Sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> well, um, you like I said earlier are listening to Wednesday breakfast, and next up we uh, have a bit of alternative news for a little bit. Right. Uh, it is 7:06, and you're listening to Wednesday breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. We're back with uh, just a, a miniature um, alternative news. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Um, yeah, you're listening to 3CR Community Breakfast with Will and Dean, and we're popping into some alternative news, like you said just now. What are we, what are we looking at today? Um, so yesterday, uh, oh, you know, obviously you hear news everywhere, but... Uh, Jill Hennessy was on the radio um, and I guess the health department talking about the falling rates of flu vaccinations for kids. Mm. And it was all about encouraging parents to vaccinate their kids against the flu. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Australia's National Immunisation Program provides vaccinations against 16 diseases. Um, but obviously, you know, 
flu itself last year we know it was huge you know there were, yeah, and and there was a bit of scaremongering around mm. getting flu vaccinations because of what happened last year mm. my um mum works in the aged care sector mm. some of the places that she works in they lost a few people we know a lot of people yeah. died in new south wales yeah so it was a bad flu season last, last year, year. yeah um and so obviously everybody this year must have thought, oh, I've got to do it. Yeah. And so the push yesterday was, hey, you guys are letting down your children by not getting them vaccinated. Right. But the flu vaccinations ran out mm. in June. Yeah. So it's all good and well to say to people, have your kids vaccinated on the 21st of August when people who were trying to get their kids vaccinated at the beginning of the flu season. Okay. But the, you couldn't go anywhere. Mm. Like my dad's 65. Mm. He tried to go in May. Mm. It had ran out. You know, so you've got this um, uh, free immunisation program and vaccination program around Australia, Mm -hmm. but you don't have the supplies. So doctors didn't have any, chemists didn't have any. uh, Big business, though, ended up getting all of their staff vaccinated. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's funny how that that works. Yeah. i got to say, I'm feeling kind of funny now about um, about what I did was I worked for a large organisation and they had a whole sort of reserve of um, flu vaccination. So I went and got it because it was free. Yeah, yeah. I thought, that's great. Yeah. Um, But hearing that we've run out is a bit bit troubling. And that was around June. Right. But, but, and, and, and I'm guessing when I say ran out, I'm Mm. talking from first-hand experience of people that I've spoken to who... Uh, in the elderly who tried to go and get it but couldn't get it because they couldn't find any. And I'm oh. guessing that would have had a flow-on effect to parents who wanted to go and get their kids vaccinated. Yeah, don't don't okay. quote me. I don't sure, have sure, the sure. stats. But, yeah. And obviously we know, too, that there's the other side, um, Australian groups like the Australian Vaccination Skeptics Network, um, you know, who... who uh, don't want vaccination or don't believe in it. So mm, that, mm. To, and she, Jill Hennessy came out yesterday and sort of said, you know, don't listen to these anti-vaccination fear-mongering people. Mm, Go out mm. there and get it. So I found that juxtaposition of where she was coming from, mm. uh, you know, makes sense, mm. but have the product available. Don't just sort right. of say, go and do it. And yeah, it's nearly it spring. Sounds, so what's the story here? It sounds a bit like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing in terms of there's this sort of, this messaging that's put out that you have to go get the vaccination, which is fair enough. Yeah. But on the other hand, not having them available. Not having them available. So they've got the money available to push these... Me- push the campaign and have the a campaign, campaign against it. Yeah. For yeah. it, sorry. Yeah, but they don't have the substance, which is... um. Well, and, and, and what I'm yeah. thinking is they do now. Mm. So oh, what do. is it, May, June, July? I'm, I'm guessing yeah. that the reason they're pushing the campaign now is that they've got the... The resources to do it, but like it's nearly spring. If you were going to be sick, Mm. you'd probably have had the flu. You Mm. know, it's Mm. not like there's no point getting it now because we're going into the summer season. Right. Yeah. Yeah, It just seems quite weird. They should have done the campaign early, had the resources early, as we, as you would predict. Mm. You want to go through winter with it. Um, and that, yeah, I found that a bit, um, strange and, and, the state election's mm. coming up, so maybe that might have something to do with it as well, you know? Look, there's a lot of stuff coming up on the, the state election. We're going to be yeah. um, trying to speak to some folks about that next week. So, um, so actually, folks, if you're listening in, because the state elections are coming up and we're going to face a media embargo later in the year, but at the moment we're still able to talk about it. So if you have any leads or stories that you want us to talk about, um, call in 94198377 during business hours and leave us a message. And um, we'll we'll try or, to get or on any dead man walking stories that might have to do with two friends eh? who are now no longer friends eh? in federal parliament. Uh, <laughs> you know? uh, okay, so, dead man walking. So uh, can we can we imagine 
anyone listening who doesn't know quite what you're talking about? Uh, no. Well, let's let's, not. let's quickly <laughs> sort of mention um, the the sort of non-spill that happened yesterday. Which, which I, still has ramifications, I think. It does, it I, does. I think it's going to happen again. You do think so? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. basically what happened was I got in the shower and it was on, <laughs> and I got out of the shower and it was off. So, 48 to 35, yeah, mind yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, Turnbull, our Prime Minister, um, Truffle Pants Turnbull, yep. um, announced that the Le- Liberal Party leadership was vacant, and that he'd be putting himself up for it. Yep. And Dutton thought that he had to go for it, so he put his hand up. Yeah. Yeah, I got that feeling too. Yeah. That he thought that he had to. I don't yeah. think he wanted to, but... Well, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I don't think that's particularly important, because the outcome really is that it's been shown that Turnbull doesn't have the support of a lot of his yep. party. Yeah. And also that Peter Dutton is no longer Home Affairs Minister. Yeah, so he's gone to the backbench. And now it's Scott Morrison. So... We're going to see more of the same, aren't we? Yeah. 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 Well, so I mean, this, it's, it, yeah. it normally those portfolios mm. change. Mm. Scott Morrison was in there before Peter Dutton. Now yeah, we're going back to him. Yeah, he was before it became the Home Affairs. Yeah, yeah. Department of Home Affairs. He was when he was back when it was Immigration and Border Force. So yeah. he's, we're going back to him. We're going back oh, to him. Yeah. And so we won't see any difference. Just, just in case anyone was under, and I don't think anyone listening to 3C, I was under the illusion that anything will change in particular. Yeah. But... We've got someone who took part in the massive sort of illegal warehousing of human beings overseas in Manus and Nauru. Yeah. That's going to continue, even though Dutton's gone to the backbench, and he may contest again. So, Well, yeah. there's a likelihood that by Friday mm. there will be a second challenge because mm-hmm. this morning some of the 35 who backed Dutton mm. have all resi- are resigning their posts. So yes, there's up to eight of that. them who have just decided, yeah, well, we'll yeah, go yeah. to the backbench as well. There's also the story of um, uh, Peter Dutton, now on the backbench, um, being investigated over a breach of um, Section 44. Um, Section 44, folks listening at home may be familiar as being the, um, the, um, the section under which a whole lot of um, MPs were booted from Parliament as ineligible for sitting for Parliament mm. because they had dual citizenship yes. or um, <laughs> rights to citizenship of another country. It also covers um, a financial... Um, financial um, Implications. Impli- uh, uh, the chance of finance, financial gain from your position in Parliament. Okay, yeah. Um, and so uh, there's the whispering that Peter Dutton's w- wife's organisation, was it? Um no, no, I didn't no, hear that. No. I didn't hear that. Anyway, yeah. um, so he's, he's associated with an organisation that stands to gain from his um, status in, in Parliament. And yeah. so that's being investigated. It's not confirmed. But it's, uh, it's possible that he may, be, may have been ineligible to stand and he'll have to be booted from Parliament. So we'll see if that actually means anything. Because and it could, all be just, yeah. it could all be just a ruse, isn't it? Yeah. Like, let's, let's avoid the Liberal Party getting into more strife about Section 44. You know, yeah. cook up this whole campaign. Put that in yeah, the it, just, it just happened to be, like, people have known about it on Twitter, for example, yeah. for, for months that there's this p- potential conflict of interest with yeah. Pit, um, Peter But Dunn. nobody's gone but with it. But no one yet. went with it until yeah. the spill happened yesterday in the mainstream media. But that might just be a coincidence. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, Who knows? it's um. Uh, and one other thing, actually, <laughs> this is probably not alternative, but we no. talked about. No, it. this has been really. Yeah, we talked about it yeah. um, last week. Um, mm. School leaks, students' medical info. So, uh, 
confidential records listing students' medical rec- conditions, mm. including their name, um, and have been leaked by Melbourne Secondary School. Oh, okay. Which comes back to what we were talking about regarding that whole my health my health record, record thing. You know, how yeah. does how does your how does school mm. managing it mm. implicate what you do as a parent or what your child does? Because I think your school has to have some access to it if you've got a pre. Mm. Uh, um, a precondition, you know, they have to yeah. know if you've got, or, um, not autism, but if you have epilepsy and things like that, the school has to be yeah. aware. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you need an EpiPen, obviously mm. they have to be aware that you need an EpiPen. Yeah. And so if they've leaked that medical info to other organisations, mm. where, where's the boundary? Hmm. What rights do they have? Okay. Well, let's do a story on that. I just wanted to quickly mention, um, the, the story about, uh, so ages ago, folks may remember, um, in the Senate, Fraser Anning, new senator, gave his maiden speech, uh, gave his yes. first speech yes. in the parliament where he used a couple of choice phrases. Basically, he outlined his grand view for the future of Australia, which involved um, majority white Im- um, immigration, um, essentially return to the white Australia policy. And um, part of what got uh, the mainstream media really snapping at this and um, gave parliament a good chance to pat itself on the back for how unracist it was, was the furor over Fraser Anning's use of the phrase final solution yeah. in reference to immigration. So final solution to the immigration question is what he actually said. And it's, um, well, first of all, it's gross to quote Nazis. It's not very nice. Mm. Um, mm. But uh, a, a number of articles were written soon after that. Notably, Ruby Hamad wrote an article in the Saturday paper, Phrasing Anning and Racist Politics. And there's a lot in this article, so I won't, I won't read it all out, but I'll summarise one of the points which I think is important, which is basically that Fraser Anning is the symptom of a, of a sort of racist political system that has existed for a while yeah. and that we've all been conditioned to. And it's not just a political system, but also a media, situa- um, a media environment where people like Andrew Bolt talks about Australia being colonised by non-Europeans. Yeah. And <laughs> so, um, which is just yeah. ridiculous and sad. Yeah. But... Uh, Surprised people still but listen to the, the 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 reason why I bring this up is because not very long after there was an article in the Age, so by Fairfax, by Claire Thurston's, which makes the exact same points. Not very long after, and uh, this is a bit of a. I'm not saying that um, Ruby Hamad has a monopoly on mm. the ideas that she um, that she puts out there, but it's been a pattern that Ruby Hamad's writings have been. Massaged. Mm, have been sort of uh, the articles that are surprisingly familiar, fam- yeah. familiar and similar to her articles have come out not very long after in other publications. Okay. And yeah. um, Ruby sees this, uh, Ruby Hamad um, on Twitter at least, sees this as part of a pattern of people of colour and women of colour having their work duplicated and um, she calls it plagiarism, yeah. um, is what Ruby Hamad says. So um, I just think it would be really good for people to keep an eye out and try to try to find out where the ideas are coming from for the articles that they read in mainstream media. If they see something coming out in Fairfax and they see something coming out a little bit earlier in the Saturday paper, for example, that should be something that we we sort of consider. Like, I think people are sort of due credit for the work that they do. That they do, yeah. Yeah. Because and, essentially, um, mm. um, I would say... Uh, Ruby Hamad has first-hand experience of some of the things that she might write about Absolutely. to actually then yep. be able to yep. vocalise it. Mm. You know, mm. whereas um, some of the other journalists who work for the other papers might only just go, oh, yeah, I like that part, I can mm. use that. Um, you're right, yeah, 70% of it would be 
something that was created by somebody else and then they just twist it into theirs to share that That's message right. forward. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, it just, um, just. I can't a, believe a it was Fraser's maiden speech. Who uh, yeah. voted for that person? That's the first time they got up there. The, the meme is that it was 19 <laughs> people who voted for Fraser yeah. Anning as, um, as the former candidate for One Nation, um, through preferences he got into, got into Parliament and then left One Nation. Um, but it just shows that he's, like, I don't think, those 19 votes, sure, they, they were literally what got him into Parliament, but the fact that it was seen that he, someone like him would be appropriate in Parliament mm. is part, it's sort of symptomatic of a culture yeah. Um, yeah. around who gets to speak and who gets power. And, yeah. um, I and just, it's, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Because and that's the point that's made in Rumi Hamad's article, and I think that she should be given credit for that. Uh, even, yeah. even someone like Bob. Mm. knows how to choose his words, Bob, Bob Keller. <laughs> yeah, you know, like yeah. he's, he's out there, but I'm just saying, yeah. even though he might feel like he needs to say the things that Fraser did, he knows mm. that it's not the forum to do that really, mm. you know, and come out and be such a mm. forthright, like right down the line and tell it right. like it is, but I don't know. Just, to, know. just to bring us out on a quick little thought, though, yeah. um, I, even Pauline Hanson came out against the way that Fraser yeah. spoke, but I think that's got a lot to do with her own personal bitterness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's because very, he she's left very bitter. Um, yeah. One Nation, she yeah. famously marched into Senate wearing a burqa. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And so... She, he didn't leave her a tip at the fish and chip so shop, it so kind she of, wasn't happy. Well, I mean, it puts a, puts, puts a lie to the big um, sort of back-patting kind of exercise that was done in Parliament mm. soon after, where everyone comes out and says, this is wrong of Fraser Anning to say all these things when... You know, people like Pauline Hanson come in and, uh, and oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. So it's just convoluted in there. Um, you are listening to. Oh, I think it might be worth us bringing us out on a uh, on a song by someone that we have lost recently, um, Aretha Franklin. Um, just sort of in memory of her, she was a beautiful yeah. voice and an artist, and um, had the pleasure of seeing her once. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. My gosh! Yeah. So okay. that was um, at at Radio City Music Hall. So she mm. was sixty six at the time, but you know, this is "Say a Little Prayer." Yeah, Aretha yeah. Hi, this is Rafiz Ziada, and you're listening to 3CR Pro-Palestinian Happily Proud Radio. The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews, calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. Istra Melbourne is a 3CR supporter.
has your subscription lapsed? We want you back. Spend more than the evening with us. Reunite with us. Subscribe to 3CR and get excited. Call 9419 8377 or donate online, 3cr.org.au. And let's get back together. It'll feel so good. Twenty eighteen marks twenty years since senior traditional owner Yvonne Margarula invited supporters to come to Mirar Country within Kakadu National Park to blockade the proposed Jabaluka uranium mine. Thousands answered the call. The mine was stopped. To commemorate this extraordinary anniversary, Gunjaitme Aboriginal Corporation and the Australian Conservation Foundation have produced a gorgeous commemorative calendar. Standing strong, Jabaluka twenty years is a piece of history you don't want to miss. Order your copy today at mirar.net. That's M-I-R-A-R-R dot net. A 3CR supporter. You're on 855 AM 3CR Breakfast. Just quickly, we are in the middle of Hearing Awareness Week, which finishes on the 26th of August. It's always a... A great week, um, you know, for, for the organisations to, to get people to, I guess, understand the, the, the plight of people who, you know, have hearing or tinnitus problems so that they can go in there and get themselves checked. And tomorrow we've got um, the annual International Day for Remembrance of the Slave Trade and its Abolition. Uh, and it's always uh, on August 23rd, the day designated by UNESCO to uh, memorialise the transatlantic slave trade. I know, um, obviously, it doesn't sort of transatlantic doesn't include Australia, but it's always good to 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 remember, um, you know, what has happened a, a while back. And it's all about events happening, in, inviting participants from you know, young people, educators, artists, and intellectuals. Um, to really um, for, to have a collective recognition and focus on the historic causes and consequences of slavery. And that is tomorrow, um, August the 23rd. But as I mentioned, um, with what is happening with Hearing Awareness Week, you know, there's a, there's a lot of events, so you can have it. Um, in, if you're in WA, um, it's an opportunity to address um, hearing loss. We know that hearing loss obviously has a, a high cost for people and also a, a, an uncomfortable um, life if you have problems with that. Um, but we might now go to some community announcements. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Vedran from the Yoga Collective and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855am or streaming for 3cr.org.eu. Cheers. Vote for your mic. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late and we still need your support. 
Donate now by calling 9419 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. Fight for your money. Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. This is Beta Base Camp. Welcome to the Little Red Tulangi Treehouse. As you said, I'm going to the East West Tunnel ticket, as it usually does start at 5.30am. The Lincoln Melbourne Authority have come here in the middle of the night and set up another drill rig here on Gold Street. The police were pretty keen to defend that with all their resources this morning. I think for Australians... In order to know ourselves, really fully know ourselves, in order to mature, we need to understand Aboriginal culture. We need to embrace it and realise that in coming here, you're now part of the longest continuing culture in the world. We need your support. Subscribe today. Call 9419 8377 now. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. This is Ari Lecker. You're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. Also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka gets up one talks. International Overdose Awareness Day is held annually on the 31st of August. It is a day to raise awareness of overdose, reduce the stigma of drug-related death and acknowledge the grief felt by family and friends of those who have died. With the ongoing stigmatisation and criminalisation of people who consume drugs in Australia, International Overdose Awareness Day is as important as ever. This year, 3CR will be broadcasting a special half-hour program at 10am on Friday the 31st of August. Join us for a panel discussion looking at current efforts to reduce the tragic loss of life from overdose in Australia. Experts will offer perspectives from the fields of research, service delivery and most importantly, peers in the community. And you're listening to 3CR Community Radio uh, Breakfast, Wednesday Breakfast. Uh, The time right now is 736 and we're going to be speaking now to uh, Nick Orchard, who is the Manager of Campaigns for Youth Services at Jesuit Social, Social Services, um, who have recently really, uh, launched a campaign worth a second chance, which aims to build a grassroots um, movement around making a more uh, appropriate uh, 
youth justice system and um, uh, this in the lead up to the state election at the end of the year. So, um, Nick, welcome to 3CR Community Radio. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Thanks for coming in. Um, so, I suppose it would be a good idea to just get an understanding of what the campaign is. So, hashtag worth a second chance. What does that mean? Sure. So, we believe that all young people are worth a second chance. And our campaign comes from the premise that actually here in Victoria, we used to have the best youth justice system in our country. Mm. And so we used to have a strong focus on early intervention, prevention, education, and making sure that locking young people up was an absolute last resort. And when we did, we focused on reducing re-offence when young people got out. And that led to record low rates of offending and led to really good outcomes for young people, which, uh, and actually, if you want to see some of those stories of young people and great outcomes, uh, please head to the Worth Second Chance website. Some amazing, powerful mm. stories there of young people who've, uh, you know, against the odds, have had really good outcomes from mm. good interventions from the justice system. And that good history sort of led to a drop of in, um, admissions into youth justice centres as well? That's exactly right. Yeah. So mm. for eight years in a row, the youth offending rate in Victoria dropped, mm. which was sensational. Which yeah. is different to what you hear in the mainstream media. Mainstream that media. is exactly yeah. right. And yeah. it's that same mainstream media that's leading to the unfortunate policies that we're seeing today. So, mm. you know, it is a fact that mm-hmm. Victoria is probably the safest it's ever been from youth crime. Mm. But uh, it's also a fact that Ipsos polling is showing that Victorians feel the least safe that they've ever yeah. felt. Right. And, uh, you know, people have three sources of truth. So mm. it's the media is the main source of truth and then the government and the opposition. And this is, you know, if you're not in the know, you would think that we are having a youth crisis, that there's mm. gangs everywhere, people mm. aren't feeling safe to go outside their house. Mm. It's absolutely ridiculous. But the really sad thing about this is it's resulting in policies that are genuinely going to make our communities less safe mm. and are going to make sure that these young people have, uh, you know, much poorer outcomes than they would otherwise. Yeah, you're saying that it's... um. Uh, leading to sort of policy promises by um, by certain parties. What are we seeing from the major parties here in Victoria that um, Jesuit social services are worried about? Sure. Look, I, I mean many things, and this is not exclusive to the Labor Party or the Liberal Party. No. Both sides are in a race to the bottom, unfortunately, mm. around these policies. So we're seeing a focus on you know mandatory sentencing, for example. Mm. We're seeing that young people after leaving detention are going to be monitored for alcohol and drug use while wearing electronic bracelets. Mm. Now, if you think about the fact that a young person with alcohol and drug challenges that leads them to, you know, um, wind up in prison in the mm. first place, upon release, if they relapse, surely our focus should be on treatment. Mm. You know, rather than locking them back up again, mm. it's mm. crazy, you know, and reducing their chances of a successful future, making our communities less safe. So what we know is that of people who get locked up here in Victoria, almost half of them go on to reoffend again in the next year. But measures like uh, restorative justice measures like group conferencing. 80% of young people don't go on to reoffend. Victims of crime are satisfied with that sort of approach because it's making amends for um, things you might have done in a meaningful way to the victim of crime, mm. and we get really good outcomes. So what we want to know is why aren't the policies reflecting what actually works, what we know to work, rather than policies that are leading to, as we saw yesterday, a 600% rise in serious incidents, assaults, mm. in, our, in our youth justice centres here in Victoria, in Park, Parksville and uh, Malmesbury. And so you do, you do point out that there has been a, a rise in certain crime stat- statistics. Um, would, would you say that that somewhat justifies the public's worry about the increase in crime? Or is this, um, are these sort of little things that um, 
interested parties can pick on to to raise a crime of um, a climate of fear. Yeah, look, and there hasn't been a rise in youth offending. The rise in no. serious incidents has been within. Parks Hill and Malmesbury, the the actual detention centres themselves, which is clearly not a space that we want to be sending our young people Mm. to. It should be an absolute last resort, but instead we're locking up more and more young people, we're having more punitive measures in there, less of a focus on education, which is resulting in more of these incidents that are going to lessen the chance of a positive future for these young people. Mm. And I think it was interesting, I heard that statistic yesterday, sorry, it was, and one of the guys was sort of saying, well, you know, what about if we come up with a plan that if you re-offend five times, you're going to be jailed? And it's like, well, hang on. What about the idea of community engagement, having exactly that sort right. of idea, which is really where your campaign's coming from, engaging mm. community members and having a roundtable sort of kitchen discussion to be able to give people an option to, yeah, I guess, turn it around? That's absolutely right. Right As it stands right now, there is not a voice for people who oppose... Uh, you know, these, uh, these measures that are being put out by both sides of politics. So, uh, we want to give a platform for those people and we genuinely mm. want to hear the ideas of the people of Victoria and how we can fix the youth justice system mm. in this state. And we want to present those. We obviously have some, um, uh, asks, you know, there are, there are some policy things that we're asking on the government and the opposition, but we want to hear other ideas too. So some of our asks are that we want to see, uh, the age of criminal responsibility raised to 14, for example. Yeah. We want to see a stronger focus on education programs and for those to start earlier. So focus on primary school and that important transition between primary school and high school. And we also want to see locking young people up as an absolute last resort. Mm-hmm. And so the challenges, sorry to interrupt, no. there, Will, that you're facing at the moment, and we talked about the media beat-up, and obviously this campaign's new, but what the, your organisation does has been going on for a long time. How are you finding that sort of challenge with this whole race focus? Mm-hmm. You know, And how, how can these people who, as a community, come together, put aside that difference of, well, I'll only look after my kind to mm-hmm. get them through this, but those people, well, they deserve to do it that way. Are you finding that there, are, there might be those challenges because of the way the media portrays youth violence and crime? Yeah, I, look, absolutely the media headlines have been race-focused and it's been, um, you know, it's racist reporting. That's, mm. that's the reality of the scenario. Yeah. And uh, uh, we think that's, you know, incredibly unfortunate, of yeah. course. And we want to see a better foundational system for all Victorians. Yeah. And uh, that all young people who might wind up in trouble benefit from a best practice system which is focused on preventing re-offence and, uh, and healthier communities. Mm. And letting people know, too, that the numbers, you know, you hear the numbers are quite... The, the, you'd be surprised. I think a lot of people wouldn't know that it's probably 10 times as many white youth kids who were getting in trouble compared to the African because of the population. It's 1%. Their their African youth offending is 1%. Yeah, so the idea is to help all kids but make sure that what, you know, their outcomes are obviously going to get them through, which is a pretty traumatic time. Absolutely. It's an incredibly traumatic time. And we need to be intervening earlier, we need to be working with schools, and we need to have a stronger focus on community programs. Absolutely. So how will how will this program work, though? The, the Worth a Second Chance campaign in particular, I, I see there's a hashtag, there, there are great materials in terms of like videos and personal stories to be shared. Yes. Um, how, how, how do you want people to get on board? Sure, and thank you so much for the question. That's great. Uh, so, look, yeah. there's two ways. Uh, you know, listeners, in 10 seconds right now, you can mm-hmm. support this campaign and have your voice heard in asking for a better youth justice system in Victoria by jumping on www.worthasecondchance.com.au and adding your email address to the petition there. It takes 10 seconds, but a very important measure, and then we can keep you up 
updated about our progress with the campaign. And if you're really passionate about these issues and you want to make a real difference, then we would love to support you to hold a kitchen table conversation with your friends, family, neighbours, colleagues, to talk about these issues and talk about the kind of system that you would like to see here in Victoria. Mm. We have beautiful kitchen table conversation kits that have been made, and uh, I would be happy to personally support anyone who wanted to hold such a conversation. Just get in touch. You can do that via the website. That's really interesting. Um, How would that work? Like, just just to get in specifics about the kitchen table conversation, what does that look like? Sure. So we have a a great kit, and we want people to talk about... um, you know, instances when they were young when, you know, they might have gotten into trouble or had a hard time and talk about what the supports are that got them through that time. Mm. Then take into account the fact that actually, you know, almost half the young people in youth justice have come from a child protection, you know, um, background, so they might not have those family supports there. Uh, many have been expelled or suspended from school, so might not have those school networks of yeah. supports. Many have mental health challenges, so, you know, might not have those same health supports in place, uh, you know, uh, some of us are very fortunate to have. And so then consider how can we have a system that actually produces those supports and make sure those young people, um, you know, uh, benefit from a system that reflects their needs. Hashtag worth a second chance, which you can follow on Twitter, um, Facebook, all sorts of places, and um, start to and, grow yeah. a grass. And I think it's worth noting that, you know, with the election coming up, mm. everything that happens in the... Um, worth a second chance space has a flow and effect. I mean, you talked about kids who might not have had the support yes. uh, around family. Some people don't even have housing. Yes, they come exactly from a broken right. home. Mm, so, exactly right. and then you look at you know the public housing system and how it flows on to leading to all of these other social issues. So, you know, if you can, as a person, if you have interest in, in obviously helping the youth of today, but then you realise that, you know, there is a housing problem, that this is our opportunity before the election comes to have our voices heard and make sure that, you know, the policies that come out for housing, domestic violence, youth justice are all, you know, aligned with your beliefs as well. That's exactly right. And if people don't have their voices heard, you know, uh, it's uh, not going to get out there and we won't be able to influence the politicians. Domestic, uh, domestic violence, housing, education, employment. These are all things you can talk about at your uh, fam- uh, family table discussion. Mm. Found out more about how you can get some, one of those set up at worthasecondchance.com.au. We've been speaking to Nick Orchard, who is uh, Manager of Campaigns for Youth Services at Jesuit Social Services. Nick, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much Thanks, for having Nick. me. You are listening to 3CR Community Breakfast. Well, if you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, it's yes, on no where you are. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. We'll check out the happy vibe. It's gonna ring up and subscribe. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. What? Who the hell is that? The Australian Plants Expo is a huge native plant fair coming up on September 8th and 9th in Eltham. There'll be books, art, giftware and talks by Philip Johnson, A.B. Bishop and Loretta Childs. There'll also be demonstrations and workshops on botanical art, propagation and native bonsai, as well as activities for children, refreshments and door prizes. 
Saturday and Sunday, September 8th and 9th, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Contact at apsyarrayarra at gmail.com or call 0430-513-433 for more details. Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra is a 3CR supporter. Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. I, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. La, 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 la. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. And that was Killing Us Softly by Candy Royale and the Freed Radicals to get you, uh, get your blood pumping this morning. Uh, you are listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. Now I just got a phone call from Neville from Yarraville who, um, wanted to pass on a message to Nick Orchard saying that, um, Nick spoke robustly and well on, um, on the issue of youth justice and made a lot of great points. I um, just wanted to point out that we made a lot of references to both sides of Parliament, and I think this is something that we've been doing all morning, including it during Alternative News this morning, where we spoke about both sides of Parliament as though there really are just two parties, but really we need to speak to um, the, uh, the smaller parties and also to independents in um, in in Parliament, yeah. and I think uh, it's in that spirit that we're actually next week going to be speaking... Oh, first of all, thanks for calling in, Neville. And if you folks want to call in, obviously we can't put you straight to air, but um, if you call 94198377 and there's someone available to take your phone call, then um, we're happy to pass on your message. Love hearing from from, uh, from listeners. It's fantastic. But um, as I was going to say, uh, next week we're going to be speaking to Councillor Stephen Jolly, who is going to be the Victorian Socialist member. Is that right, Dean? Yeah, so the Victorian Socialist Party um, launches their election election manifesto mm. this Friday uh, at 6 at 6.30 p.m. So That's right. Um, we will have Councillor Stephen Jolly um, next week, hopefully. I've, I've had it lined up for this week, but he couldn't make it, so we'll have a chat to him. And they're launching the manifesto at the Browns of Tryon Hall. So if you want to get down there, um, yeah, go in there, and at least that way some of their policies quickly are fixing the housing crisis, improving public transport, making electricity affordable, getting jobs in the north, stopping the attempts to divide Victorians. So, And this is where... You know, just the system and that whole policy can, can, you can influence their manifesto as well if you attend. 
That's right. Um, you are listening to 3CR Community Radio. We're going to go quickly to some announcements, and then we'll be back with a with an interview. Won't yeah, we? Bob Phelps. That's fantastic. We'll uh, we'll be right back, folks. Australia is a crime scene. It's unfinished business. This crime. People don't understand that it was a military exercise. It was military in the first fleet. It was Captain James Cook. It was Captain Arthur Phillip. Right through the history of Australia, it's a military exercise. Our people have suffered greatly because the white man is not prepared to act honourably and legally. It's still the case in this country today. This is 3CR. is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law, 6pm Tuesdays. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio Breakfast uh, with Will and Dean. Just a reminder, folks, today is the 22nd of August, Wednesday. The time right now is 7.59. And today we're looking at uh, a cloudy day with a medium chance of showers in the morning and afternoon. Very light winds. Uh, what's happening now, Dean? Uh, it's time now to get to our next guest. Uh, a couple of weeks back, um, a California jury awarded a school groundsman, Dwayne Johnson, $289 million for his terminal non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the jury found that based on all the scientific evidence uncovered during this month, only a month, wow, that's quick, this month-long trial, that his exposure to Roundup weed killer caused Mr. Johnson's cancer. Um, to find out a little bit more, and I guess for to, to hear about why this is such a huge case, and also um, the push to get um, glyphosate off our globe, we are joined by uh, Gene Ethics, Bob Phelps. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Dean. Thanks for joining us on 3CR Community Radio. Pleasure. Um, we've had the, the pleasure of speaking to you on many issues, um, especially regarding some of these um uh, you know, issues with Monsanto, but the, the case against, uh, sorry, the case for Dwayne Johnson and Roundup is a, is an interesting one. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, unfortunately, Mr. Johnson is going to die from his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm, not long, so, they said. Yes, so the Californian government, uh, has a rule that can expedite cases into court, and, uh, that's the situation. He, um, because he's going to die, they, um, heard the case, and it was it went to a jury after a month, and the jury comprehensively found in his favour, and as you said, awarded two hundred eighty nine million dollars uh, against Monsanto. And of course, Monsanto has recently been bought by Bayer, 
So we saw last Monday that um, Bayer's uh, share price went down 10% the first uh, moment that it was opened in the morning, and uh, it's also had impacts on Australian producers of glyphosate, which is marketed as Roundup as well, New Farm, uh, an Australian uh, marketer of Roundup here in Australia. Um, uh, its share price has been hit during the week as well. So this is having uh, initially commercial impacts, but also, of course, a number of councils in Australia are now deciding that they won't use glyphosate any longer in the management of weeds, particularly in school playgrounds, in parks, and uh, on the street sides where animals and children may be affected. And interestingly, the first council in Victoria to sign a five-year contract for an alternative system known as weed steamers is the city of Yarra, in which 3CR is based. So uh, quite soon you're going to see those weed steamers around the streets instead of young guys in thongs and shorts spraying Roundup, which uh, we now know uh, quite clearly does lead to cancers in human beings. And, and Roundup, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was an Australian product? No, no. Uh, okay. Roundup has uh, been on the market since 1974. It's uh, the biggest... Um, weed killer globally it's mm. uh, used mm. uh, really around the world and in 2015 there was a comprehensive uh, study of this by the United Nations International Agency for Research on Cancer otherwise known as IARC that found that uh, Roundup is a probable human carcinogen and that's what's moving And the ingredient forward. is gly- glyphosate Glyphosate is the yeah. main active ingredient our uh, Agricultural and Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority, APVMA, which is our main uh, chemicals regulator on farms and in the community in Australia, of course, has reviewed the evidence. They've said all is well with Roundup as long as you follow the label instructions. And um, that sort of held off the inevitable that, that Roundup now is on the nose. It's um, on people's minds. We see um, a flock of local government uh, areas. Uh, I mentioned the city of Yarra, but mm. there are 35 others that have now turned away from Roundup as well, and we're hoping that uh, local government will comprehensively reject it as well. But it's a warning to shoppers who, in any um, hardware store or supermarket, will see Roundup on the shelf and should think twice about buying it and using it in their gardens as well. And, and Bob, I guess for me, that's where I, you know, wanted to, to get in contact with you. It's, it's all well and good. Obviously, you mentioned that 35 out of the 700, um, councils in Australia are already using weed steamers for, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about avid gardeners who have been using Roundup for, for, for decades. What does this mean? How do we then convince them that this product actually isn't good for them? You know, because obviously we don't have a case that's happening in this country at the moment. Well, I think people will convince themselves. Uh, there will be cases in Australia, I'm sure. Mm. There are particularly farmers suffering non-Hodgkin lymphoma. The thing is that uh, gardeners are using a very weak um, brew of this stuff. It's around about 1% of the active ingredient, whereas mm. farmers and uh, the commercial users of Roundup are using... Uh, formulations that can be up to 40% yeah. uh, glyphosate. So they are much more exposed, and that was the group in particular that the IARC, the UN committee, 
found uh, was most likely to be affected, have their health affected uh, by the use of this stuff. Because so the, they, they're, they're using it all the time, not so much on, you know, once every six months or whatever. Well, the other thing about glyphosate and Roundup, of course, is that it's also now used extensively on crops uh, when they're about to be harvested. Mm, which so, we, we eat. Which we then eat with glyphosate residues in the foods. And this is becoming a major issue, particularly in global trade, because Europe in particular is now saying... Uh, we have zero tolerance for Roundup residues in our um, in the commodities that you are exporting to us, and uh, so this week in the rural media, there's extensive coverage uh, from the uh, agribusiness perspective, crying like one thing, saying, "Oh, we're going to lose glyphosate, and oh, we can't farm without glyphosate to produce uh, the bulk commodities that are exported." And there's major disagreement among the farming community in Bali, for instance, where we now find that uh, uh, the brewers of beer are saying, we don't want Roundup in our beer. Uh, They're crying because um, uh, another group who are producing barley for animal feed are saying, well, it doesn't make any difference to us. us. We're going to continue to spray. So war is breaking out all over the place over this um, uh, chemical, which, of course... Um, a lot of these chemicals were produced uh, for uh, the war, the Second World War in particular, and we've had the uh, chemical age ever since the Second World War. Uh, Chemicals were used in Vietnam, in Korea, and all around the globe we see in in conflicts, and now we're having the conflicts out on the land where the same chemicals are used to kill insects, to kill plants that we don't like, and... um, the chemical age is coming home to roost, I think. Now, this is in the context of um, us contaminating the world with plastics, which are also produced by the same and industry. With chemicals, yeah. Uh, the chemical industry is producing stuff for war on the environment. Um, some of the councils that are now uh, rejecting glyphosate, of course, are doing it on the basis that they're going to damage the Great Barrier Reef, which is a very good reason as well. The cane growers of North Queensland, of course, are crying foul, saying um, we can't manage our weeds without it. So our governments, which are in disarray as well, need to have a very, very serious rethink about how, why and for whom we are going to continue to use toxic chemicals out in the environment. The community can do its bit by taking those chemicals out of its gardens, out of its um, houses, and uh, we can start rethinking the chemical age and getting on to clean and green production systems for our food, uh, for, our, for every aspect of our life uh, in this age of chemicals. Hi, uh, Bob, this is Will. Um, so a, a little earlier you mentioned that there were some local councils who have done their bit in getting Roundup out of our environment. Um, who, in terms of um, sort of social organisations or even political parties, are doing their bit um, to get glyphosate out of our environment? Well, um, local government, as I've mentioned, is doing it. But state governments are given the thorny job of trying to monitor this. And then the federal government's regulator, the APVMA, uh, relies on simply writing words on labels and saying, yes, it's OK, provided you follow the label instructions. Mm. Now, Mm. we need a thoroughgoing review of this, and what we're saying at the moment is 
that the chemical review scheme, which was abandoned in 2014 uh, in a deal that the National Party and the Labor Party did together, uh, Crop Life in that year, which is the global network of the chemical industry which lobbies governments around the world, came to both of them, gave them tens of thousands of dollars for their election war chest in uh, 2014 and cancelled the uh, chemical review and re-registration scheme which was due to start in which we would have seen many chemicals which uh, for up to the last 50 years have been registered without proper data, without proper evidence of their safety. We want to get those toxic chemicals out of our environment and out of our, um, particularly our food production systems. And we are now saying to the federal government and to the federal opposition, we want you to bring that scheme back. We want you to get serious about reviewing all uh, chemicals used out in the environment uh, on farms, uh, in, in weed management and uh, insect management systems. And uh, that's the thing that we're asking for as a policy for this coming election, a uh, coming and, federal election. And in, in that sense, then, you're sort of talking about the idea of a Senate inquiry. Is that right? But, but then, you know, who, do, who would the federal government listen to? If somebody like the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority reject some of the you know, uh, international agency research on cancer findings, who who would the government be listening to, really? Because it's hard for them to make a decision, isn't it? Like, those policies are based on, quote-unquote, scientific facts. Well, um, I think that we need to start questioning the advice on which uh, our regulators, whether it's the APVMA mm. or the Office of Gene Technology Regulator or Food Standards Australia New Zealand, mm. these people use what's called regulatory science. I think you could shorthand for that as Mickey Mouse science. Uh, and that transfers into the food labelling as well. Sure. Uh, they use um, scientific evidence mostly generated by the companies that are going to be regulated. And uh, in the case of the Pesticides Authority, we've got the very awful situation where the uh, chemical companies actually pay the regulator to be regulated. So in the case of Roundup, the glyphosate, um, they contribute, because they're the biggest uh, chemical used in Australia, uh, they contribute most to being regulated themselves. This is the trap of governments requiring the regulator to uh, to pay for being regulated, and that compromises the decisions of the regulator. We need to change that. We need to require that all things are reviewed in the case of chemicals and we need to start paying those dues into consolidated revenue and make sure that our regulators are genuinely independent and not relying primarily on evidence provided to them by the companies which they are supposed to be independently regulating. They're our public servants. They should be serving us and serving the public interest, not serving the interests of the industries that they are set up to regulate. And they need to be using genuine science, not this Mickey Mouse version, which is called regulatory science, which uh, makes a whole lot of um, best guesses and judgments. Where there's no um, evidence or hard data available to ensure that something's safe to go into our food supply or onto our farms, Uh, they should be requiring new evidence. And that's what the 
system that I've talked about, the review and re-registration scheme, which was cancelled in 2014, would have done every 15 years, um, every agricultural chemical would have been required to be reviewed. Even in the USA, they now have a 15-year review scheme. Uh, in Europe, it's 10 years. And around about now, uh, those major markets for our commodities are starting to say, hey, hang on, we're reviewing our chemicals. We're requiring them to go down to near zero, uh, in the case of the glyphosate particularly, and uh, we're going to require you to do the same. So we, not, we, we need to start listening. Uh, we need to start acting now. And in fact, uh, in The Land, which is the main rural newspaper in uh, New South Wales last week, was um, just warning its readers that it's time to engage or face losing glyphosate altogether. Uh, they are counselling the farming community to get active on this, not to put their heads in the sand, not to um, ignore the warnings that very soon this uh, major system for managing weeds may disappear because of the trade implications, because of the environmental implications and because they don't have a social license, um, a license from the Australian community that doesn't want the residues of those chemicals in food any longer either. Well, um, Bob, thank you for joining us on 3CR. I know, um, yeah, we've uh, had, you know, a few sort of conversations with uh, other organisations talking about the fact that, you know, genetically modified food is part of the 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 problem that comes from glyphosate as well and we know that you know um people are still being feeling like they're being poisoned by some of the things that they eat as well with glyphosate so we appreciate you uh giving us an update on um yeah what is happening with with the issue sure well those um uh roundup tolerant crops the canola and cotton in particular are have been pushing the increase of the use of glyphosate we've got to get those out of our production systems too and we need local people to get active with their local councils. That's one of the main things. If they want to work with Gene Ethics, uh, come on our Facebook page, come on our uh, website, um, uh, get active. Uh, we can initially, I think, locally turn our councils around, get them uh, getting that weed killer off our streets, off the playgrounds, off the kids' um, schools, and that's the place to start and the pressure will then build for our state and federal governments to really do something about this important issue. Thank you, Bob. And we'll that talk to you again soon. That was uh, Bob Phelps from Gene Ethics. And I think I mentioned, um, you know, we've had the pleasure of speaking to Fran Morell from, from Madge, uh, and she has been very, very concerned um, and, and, you know, is leading... The, the, the push for people to explain the health risks of genetically modified foods and glyphosate and how they tie in together. And if you want to find Gene Ethics website, go to geneethics.org. That's G-E-N-E ethics.org. And you can also find them on Facebook at Gene Ethics for a GM free Australia. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesday Breakfast. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio 
celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio Wednesday Breakfast. A little earlier, um, in fact, two weeks ago, In Your Face, which is Australia's longest-running current affairs show from a queer perspective here on 3CR. You can listen every Friday from 4pm. But a little while earlier, the folks from In Your Face spoke to Jane Green, who is uh, a representative of the Vixen Collective, a peer support network for sex workers, to give us an update on what, hap- what is happening in the sex worker advocacy space. And uh, on the line we have Jane Green. Jane Green's from the Vixen Collective, which is a peer support organisation for sex workers, and she's one of the leading sex worker activists in, in Australia and certainly in Victoria, pushing for the decriminalisation of sex work in this state. Welcome once again to 3CR, Jane. Great to have you on board. Thanks so much for having me. It's a great pleasure. So last week we spoke and you were attending a protest outside the Australian Summit Against Sexual Exploitation at RMIT. How did that go? That looked really well. Um, We had the protest a block away from where the summit was actually being held. Uh, More than 50 people uh, came out to support us, including RMIT academics and staff, which I think says a lot about people's feelings about the event. Um, And it went really well. Fantastic. Of course, uh, there's a state election in November. Uh, you'll be campaigning strongly for the decriminalisation of, of sex work. Tell us about the Andrew government's policy position on the decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria. Well, look, the, there are several political parties that support the decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria. Um, the Labor Party at their recent state conference um, has adopted support for sex work decriminalisation. Um, the Green policy on sex work supports decriminalisation in Victoria, um, as does the Reason Party. Um, the Liberal Party, I think many people are aware, proposed a motion at their state council earlier this year to support the Nordic model or the Swedish model of sex work criminalisation, which would be very harmful. Um, so I think it's going to be a really important election for us this year. Absolutely, and of course, sometimes there is a, a gap or a lag between the, you know, the party machinery, if you like, at conferences supporting a particular policy position, and the parliamentary party lagging behind. Has the uh, Andrews government actually said it would legislate uh, for the decriminalisation of sex work, either before the election or afterwards, if they're returned? Well, no party's made that commitment, um, and I think you're absolutely right. There's a real difference between stating support for our community on paper and actually taking action on the basis of those statements. And I think sex workers, not just here in Victoria, but around the country, are pushing really hard for government to better support our rights and to actually take action on them. To what extent will you be framing decriminalisation as a human rights issue? It simply is a human rights issue. And importantly, it's a labour rights issue. Uh, We're looking for a system of regulation and decriminalisation is a system of regulation that supports us as other workers are supported in their work. 
to what extent has the union movement uh, offered you support, uh, particularly in relation to improving industrial conditions for sex workers? Well, look, it's um, a difficult thing here in Victoria. Um, we will say that certainly some of the protests that we've had over the last few months, particularly raising issues of concern about the Victorian Greens, who are running an anti-sex work candidate, um, unions have come out and supported us. And that's really important, but it needs to happen more. Have you met with Richard Wynne, Victoria's planning minister and the member for Richmond, and the opponent of our Greens candidate, Kathleen Maltzan, who you alluded to before? Uh, has he responded in any way personally to your calls for decriminalisation? Look, no, I haven't spoken to Richard Wynne, but if Richard's listening, I think we'd be very interested to meet with him. Um, but I think it's important for all politicians to support the human rights of all people and to support the labour rights of all workers. And if they're not doing that actively, then that's the problem. And it's interesting because Richard Wynne did second preference the sex party, which is now the Reason Party, at the last state election, uh, and preference them well ahead of the Greens, which I think is interesting, isn't it? Well, look, I think preferences are important and they should flow to parties that also support our rights. Um, I will say that people often equate the sex party with supporting the rights of workers, but any party is only good if the policy that it holds, how well it supports us and the actions that they take on in regard to that policy. Has Reason Party leader Fiona Patton given sex worker groups any strategic advice uh, about campaigning that you're aware of, and if so, what she said? Um, look, I think we're more than capable of working out what we need to do and doing it on our own. Um, that said, we'll be looking to meet with people prior to and post the election. Because she is um, a big supporter. Um, yes, but I, I think it's important to realise that um, the Reason Party, and the, which was formerly the Sex Party, has put out policies that support the sex industry broadly, including owners and operators of brothels, and often their interests conflict strongly with those of sex workers, which is why we need to put pressure on all politicians to support workers' rights. Is there an umbrella organisation for brothel owners? Um, yes, that's called the Eros Association. And uh, what's their position on decriminalisation? I imagine they're pushing for it as well? No, not at all. Why not? Um, and look, we've asked them that. Um, and when I say the, the rights of brothel owners and operators often conflict with those of workers, it's no different for workers in any industry. Often the um, owners of um, businesses and in industry have interests that conflict with those of their workers. Um, Eros has been asked to come out and support and endorse sex work decriminalisation. They've chosen not to do so. And I think there's been significant criticisms of Eros, particularly over the last year, when they've um, campaigned against what they term as illegal brothels in a way that I would typify as being quite racist and problematic. Um, And encouraging police presence in the lives of sex workers is almost always harmful, particularly when you're encouraging people's workplaces to be raided. Um, they'll be put in the position of potentially ending up with criminal records that will follow them for life, um, potentially deported, potentially having their children removed if child services are involved. So it's a really negative pattern of behaviour and they need to be called on that. It's very strange, isn't it, that um, people that run brothels would want their industry to remain um, criminalised. Uh, why would it be in their interests to do that, do well, you think? Well, look, at the moment um, we have a, what's called a licensing system mm. here in Victoria. Um, so some sex workers criminalise, particularly street-based sex work, but also sex work that occurs um, not in accordance with the licensing laws. But the licensing laws themselves um, do, to a certain extent, protect the interests of brothel owners and operators. 
Um, so I think there's a general consensus by them that system provides an advantage for them. They don't want to see it gone. Um, but that's why it's so important to listen to sex workers ourselves about what's best for us and what's right for us. Because mm. at the end of the day, we're the people that need our rights supported. We're the people that are marginalised and harmed by these laws. Mm. Absolutely. So uh, have you called on State Attorney General Martin Pakula to meet with a delegation of sex worker organisations? Because I imagine your input would be incredibly important for any uh, legislation his department, Department of Justice, uh, would be drafting if the Labor Party truly is committed to the decriminalisation of sex work. Um, look, we request meetings quite regularly mm. um, with various cities in government. Um, I can't say we have a lot of success, and that's part of the problem. Mm. Um, the huge issue for us is that um, other people, um, including organisations that are profoundly against sex workers' rights, um, are often prioritised in those places and listened to where we're not given a chance to speak or a seat at the table in government processes and policy making. The push for the decriminalisation of sex work in Australia seems especially strong in Victoria and Queensland. Why is that? I think where your rights are most infringed upon, often you're forced to speak most loudly um, in defence of your human rights. Um, I'd also note that South Australia, where sex work is still completely criminalised, has been an ongoing decriminalisation campaign um, and decriminalisation legislation has come before Parliament multiple times. But I mean, certainly here in Victoria, and I can't speak for Queensland, as a Victorian sex worker, I think we are assailed from multiple fronts all the time. We have a very high concentration of anti-sex work groups um, that lobby actively against our rights and stigmatise our community. Um, and we are also the only state or territory in Australia that doesn't have a funded sex worker service. Mm. And that's a critical failing. It affects Victorian sex workers every day. And that needs to change. And obviously uh, any law reform in relation to decriminalisation would have to provide that funding. Otherwise, the, the legal changes are, are muted to a large degree. Yeah, absolutely. And look, there's a long history in Australia that in, of realising that community-based organisations that work within and for their own community are the best practice model for marginalised communities. That's no difference to sex workers. And we really need that essential service. Uh, there's a few months to go to the election. I imagine we're going to see some more direct actions from uh, sex worker groups. Can you give us a little bit of a taste about what they might involve? Well, look, I, I think we're going to certainly continue to see protests um, in regard to the Greens um, because that's a long-running issue. It's now the third state election where the Greens have found a candidate who has a long history of stigmatising our community and arguing against our rights, and I think we can expect that to continue to occur. Um, but I also think you can expect to see a broad campaign for decriminalisation and better support for sex workers' labour rights. And look, this one's been raising that issue for the entire 13 years of being in existence as a voluntary, unfunded organisation. Jane Green will continue to monitor this issue and uh, give you a voice here at 3CR. We think it's a very important issue and uh, best of luck with the campaign for the decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria. And we'll be hearing more of you in the coming months, no doubt. Absolutely, and thank you so much. It's a great pleasure. Cheers. And that was James reporting from In Your Face, which is a great current affairs program for home time, which you can listen to every Friday from 4pm. But right now you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio, uh, 3CR Community Radio Breakfast, which you can hear on 
855 AM, or you may be listening to us on digital radio. Um, we're going to be putting out a podcast of this show uh, later in the day, just before lunchtime you'll get it, into your podcasting app, whatever you use. Uh, the time right now is coming up on 8.30, so today, who have we been speaking to, Dean? We spoke to Nick... Um, Nick Orchard, yeah, that's Nick right. Orchard who is from the Jesuit uh, Social Services yeah. about their launch of their fantastic program, Second Chance. Uh, worth a Second Chance, worth a which second you chance. can find out more about by going to www.worthasecondchance.com.au. Then after that, we spoke to Bob Phelps from Gene Ethics, who was speaking to us about glyphosate in Roundup and mm-hmm. a case that was successfully... Um, taken against Monsanto in the United States, where... A Who have been sold to the big Germans, Bayer. Bayer, that's mm. right. So uh, the message is don't buy Roundup, which is a very popular weed killer here in Australia because it uh, has uh, an ingredient which has been implicated in, um, in causing cancer in this, one, in this one man in the United States and um, led to his demise. Uh, so on that note, we're going to wrap up Wednesday Breakfast for today. Up next is City Limits. Uh, sorry, no, that's not right. Up City next Limits. is Stick Together. <laughs> City Limits is coming later in the day, but Stick Together is a great show, so definitely stay tuned for that. Um, I hope you folks have a wonderful Wednesday. Have a good Wednesday, a good and Wednesday. I'll see you all in three weeks. That's right. Bye, folks. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.